have recognized that song as a communion hymn in our book, One Bread, One Body, and we're going to be celebrating communion in just a few moments. Today we're beginning this new series of messages on the book of 2 Peter uh, called Transformed by Faith. I doubt if many people would list this as one of their favorite books in the New Testament, but there is a great deal of truth packed into these pages. 2 Peter was written to combat the beliefs and the activities of certain heretic preachers. Preachers whose actions were threatening the life of the church and the spiritual well-being of new believers. And Peter doesn't pull any punches in this letter. He makes it quite plain exactly what he thinks of these people. He calls them the useless, as useless as dried up springs of water. And he compares their teaching to a dog returning to its vomit. Pretty uh, dramatic wording. The deeper theme of 2 Peter, however, is knowing the one who gives us the ability to discern truth from error and right from wrong. It's about knowing Jesus. Because the more we know him, the more we experience the fullness of the Christian life. And for the next few weeks, we're going to take a look at what it means to know Jesus and what we can do to know him better and how we can be transformed by truth. In the first section of chapter 1, we find Peter's emphasis to be knowing Jesus. And here's a crucial distinction in the Christian life. Being a Christ follower is not just about adhering to a creed or merely following a list of commandments. It's about having a personal relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's about knowing Jesus. And so Peter begins his second letter by talking about what it means to know Jesus. And he begins with a common greeting for that time. He says, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of, of Jesus Christ our Lord. Now most letters in the New Testament begin this way. Romans 1.7, 1 Corinthians 1.3, 2 Corinthians 1.2 all begin with the words, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1 have similar language. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. It's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Titus, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, Philemon, all follow the same pattern and use similar wording. John's second letter, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ. Uh, Peter's first letter, grace and peace be yours in abundance. So it's interesting that Peter puts a slight twist on this common greeting and phrases it a little bit differently. He says, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Wishing Someone grace and peace was a common form of greeting, and Peter presents this greeting with a slightly different emphasis in order to make a point. Well, first of all, he tells us that knowing Jesus is the key to receiving from God. Knowing Jesus is the key to receiving from God. 
Grace and peace, he says, come from the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The more we know Jesus, the more we experience his blessings in our life. We can't get past the, the idea that God wants to be re in a relationship with us. That's the Christian life in a nutshell. He wants us to know him, to fellowship with him, to walk with him, to talk with him, to love him, to lean on him, to share our heart with him, and spend time with him. In other words, he wants us to know him. And that's what being a Christ follower is all about. Getting right with God is not something we accomplish by ourselves. It's something he has accomplished for us. In understanding the book of 2 Peter, we need to understand a very basic doctrine of the Christian faith. Salvation comes through faith alone in Jesus Christ. We are made right with God, not through our good deeds, but through his goodness and his mercy. So Peter begins this letter by saying, <clears throat> to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. And here's how that's translated in the New Living Translation. He says, I'm writing to all of you who share the same precious faith that we have. Faith given to us by Jesus Christ, our God and Savior, who makes us right with God. Through his righteousness we receive, Peter said, we are reminded here that we don't approach God on the strength of our goodness. We will never be good enough to come to a God on our own. We aren't good enough to save ourselves from the power of sin. We'll never be good enough in the Christian life to approach God on the basis of righteousness. It'll never happen. Those of us who are still trying to pull this off save ourselves a great deal of heartache and frustration by coming to grips with this central Christian doctrine. We will never, ever be good enough on our own. And that's why the Bible says that even the best of our works, the best of our efforts, are all filthy rags. That's who we are. But through Jesus, through his righteousness, we experience new life in him. And through knowing him, we experience grace and peace and every other blessing that he has to offer us. I heard the story about a guy who took his son and his son's friend to a carnival. You know, it's, he, he bought the long string of tickets, and throughout the day, different kids in the group would come to the dad and say, hey, I need four tickets for the next ride, or I need two tickets for a hot dog, and so forth. And at one point when the dad was handing out tickets, he saw a face in the group that he didn't recognize. And he said, wait a minute, who are you? Are you with us? And the boy pointed to the dad's son and said, no, but he's my new best friend. And he said, if I come to you, you'll give me a ticket. The way it is in the Christian life, isn't it? Our relationship with Jesus is the ticket, so to speak to receiving the blessings of God. And if we know him, then through him we will know God's grace and God's mercy and God's peace. And then through him uh, we will have abundance and joy and fulfillment. We need to, re to remind ourselves frequently that we don't approach God on the basis of our goodness. We approach God through the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone. Now, as far as heaven is concerned, when we're having a good day, it's no easier to approach God than when we're having a bad day. In fact, it's sometimes, I think, more difficult if on those days we approach God with 
kind of this self-congratulatory attitude. But our access to God is through the goodness of Jesus Christ. And nothing else, knowing Jesus, is the key to receiving from God. Then secondly, Peter tells us that knowing Jesus is the key to victorious living. In this section of scripture from 2 Peter uh, are recorded for us some of the most powerful promises in the entire Bible. There's one verse, verse 3, that I want you to notice. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Pretty powerful statement. His divine power has given us everything we need. Notice that Peter says this comes through our knowledge of Jesus. Knowing Jesus is again the key. But what is it? What is it the key to? Well, plainly stated, everything we need in life and godliness, that's the key. Imagine that everything we need for life and godliness comes through knowing Jesus. I like the way Peter expresses this. He specifies godliness because all that we need to live a holy life has already been given to us by our Father. So what items might be on that list? Well, think about it for a moment. What do you need in in what do we need to live in order to live a holy life? Well, we need to know what holiness is. And in his word, God has given us instruction on what it means to be holy, and he's given us a perfect example of life lived without sin in Jesus Christ. Secondly, we need power from beyond ourselves to live holy. God has made it available to us, his divine power, and if we will learn to just lean on him for help, he will hold us up. Thirdly, we need a second chance, don't we? Actually, some of us need a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance, too. Uh, We live in a society that demands instant gratification, and we often expect of ourselves and others immediate results, don't we? But it doesn't work that way in the Christian life. The journey into holiness is a long one and often a difficult one, and the best of us fail many times along the way. I know people have been walking with the Lord more than half a century and they still struggle in certain areas. And when they fail to be what God desires, they need another chance. And God gives that chance to us. He never says, hey, I've had enough of you. No more chances for you. He gives us the chance, even after we fail, to keep trying to to work at getting it right the next time. And then fourthly, we need the hope of ultimate success. The the effort of becoming holy may be difficult, but it's not futile. God gives us hope. He promises. He says, you'll get there. One of my favorite verses is Philippians uh, chapter 1, verse 6, where Paul says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And then lastly, we need a plan. And God gives us a plan, and it's too simple to miss. It consists of knowing Jesus, being in a personal relationship with him. Through knowing him, we have access to God's power, and God's promises come alive in our daily experience, and we have a chance to, in Peter's words, participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Now, this list isn't exhaustive. 
I haven't said anything, uh, I haven't said everything that can be said about what it means to live a holy life, but I'd like you to think about it this week. What do you need to do in order to live a holy life? And then I'm going to encourage you to thank God for making it available to you. Peter's promise is that all we need for godliness has already been given to us in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He also says that God has given us all that we need for life. I don't know how intentional it was that Peter separated these two terms, but the separation really does emphasize a crucial truth. God is not merely concerned about our level of holiness. He's concerned about every detail of our life. The day-in, day-out struggles of our job or life as a parent or a grandparent or life as a husband or a wife the management of our finances, the health concerns, you name it, it concern, if it concerns us, it concerns God. And he has made available all that we need in order to deal with that. How does God meet those needs? Well, Peter says, through his divine power. Through his divine power, we can experience victory over the things that daily life sends our way and, and in our desire to live like Christ. This power comes through our knowledge of him. In other words, through our personal relationship with Jesus. All of this is available. All that we need for life and godliness, it is available through our knowledge of him. Knowing Jesus is the key. Third, Peter tells us that knowing Jesus is the key to transformation. Look again at verses 3 and 4. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness, through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. And through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So when Peter says that we participate in the divine nature, he uses that phrase that would have been familiar to his readers. And this phrase has a mystical ring about it kind of even today, doesn't it? And in Peter's day, it was the type of phrase that mystics and Gnostics and various other pseudo-spiritual religions frequently used. And even today, authors like uh, Deepak Chopra and Wayne Dyer are likely to use this phrase. And the idea then, as it is now, is that in a pantheistic kind of way, we all have this divine presence in us. And we need only to top that presence uh, only to tap into that presence in order to experience a God-filled life. Well, it's kind of a lofty idea, but it's not exactly how it works. So Peter pulls this phrase from this pagan mystical terminology and he infuses it with Christian meaning. It's like he's saying something along these lines. This partaking of the divine nature that you've heard so much about from different preachers and different philosophers, it can only be accomplished through Jesus Christ. What does it mean to participate in the divine nature? It means that we act like God acts. We do the things that God does. It means that we become like him. In other words, we become like Jesus. When we practice forgiveness instead of revenge, we are partaking of the divine nature because we're becoming like Jesus. When we show compassion and mercy 
and love to those who don't even deserve it. We are partaking of the divine nature because we're becoming more like Jesus. When we experience joy and, and peace in the midst of the turmoil going on all around us, we're partaking of the divine nature because we're becoming more like Jesus. When we can't remain content with the status quo, when we see things that are wrong and have to be made right, when we feel compelled to stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves, we are partaking of the divine nature because we're becoming more like Jesus. So Peter goes on to say that through this participation, we can escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Participation in the divine uh, the divine nature is a process. The more we know Jesus, the more we will experience his presence in our life. And the more we know Jesus, the more we begin to act like him. And the more we begin to partake of his nature. And the more we partake of his nature, the less influenced we are by the corruption of the world around us and by the evil that we see all about us. Here's an important idea. The best strategy for overcoming evil is to bring so much good stuff into our life that the bad stuff has no room to operate. Listen to me carefully so that you get my point. It's not so much that we need to concentrate on fighting the bad stuff. It's that we need to fill our life and the world with God's presence. We need to partake of his divine nature. And the more room we give Jesus in our life and in this world, the less power, evil, and corruption we'll have. Many of our attempts at godliness are the spiritual equivalent of spraying air freshener in a garbage dump. You know, it's kind of a futile attempt. If we want to overcome the power of sin, we must fill our life with God's presence. We must partake of his nature and let him come into our house room by room and scrub the walls and the floor of our heart and fill every area of our life with his presence. See, knowing Jesus is the key to transformation because the more we're like him, the more we partake of his nature and the more we become uh, like Jesus. So let me say a couple of words in conclusion. Our objective is not to pr preach religion. Our objective, our objective always is to promote a relationship and that's what the Christian life is. It's knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus is the key to experience God's blessing. Knowing Jesus is the key to victorious living. And knowing Jesus is the key to transformation. So we need to get to know Jesus more and more. How do we do that? The same way we get to know a friend. Spend time with him. Talk with him. Share our heart with him. Listen to him. Listen to his words. Read from the Gospels. See what he has to say to us. Some of us here today are trying maybe to experience transformation by being more and more religious. People do that all the time. And it's futile. It'll never happen according to our own goodness. We have to learn to trust in God's goodness. Make it our life objective to know Jesus. He wants to know us. And through his power, he wants to make us more and more like him. Let's pray. God, we sometimes are frightened when we step back to view our own sin and shortcomings. We don't understand how there can be so much evil in, in the world and sometimes even in what we do and say, your way is made plain to us. 
but often we don't follow it. The way of your kingdom has been proclaimed, but we'd rather have our own systems and authorities. You are always right there for us, but we hide from your justice and your truth. You call us to be fully devoted to you, but we'd rather trust in the things that we can see and touch. And your will is perfect for us, yet we keep on, on with our own human schemes. Your plan for us is perfect, but we think it's too demanding. We want to be recognized. We want to be noticed without understanding how our actions affect others. So, Lord, free us from ourselves. Give us the desire to know you above everything else. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. On many occasions, Jesus encouraged people to draw near to him for encouragement and for strength, and he invites us into his presence in these moments with these words. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst again. The water that I give will become in him a spring of living water bubbling up to eternal life. For those who believe in me, as the scripture has said, out of their heart will flow rivers of living water. So you who truly and earnestly repent of your sins, who stand in a right relationship with your neighbors and who pledge to live a new life in Christ, intending to follow both the commandments of God and the ethics of Jesus, draw near to this table with faith today and take these sacred symbols of God's body and blood. Confess the re and repent of your sins and then find comfort and, and encouragement for all of your needs in Jesus. Pray with me. Thank you, Father, that you love the world so much that you sent your only Son to be our Savior. He humbled himself in obedience to your will, freely accepting death on a cross. By dying, he freed us from unending death, and by rising from the dead, he gave us everlasting life. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, our Lord Jesus took bread, and he gave thanks to you, and he broke the bread. And he gave it to the disciples and said, Take ye, this is my body which is given for you. Do this. In remembrance of me, 